This is the Sooner Scooter Show, a part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up on this week's episode, as always, we're going to give you a handful of players to watch in this game with UCF. We'll also talk about why Vegas has OU as an 18.5-point favorite and why you as a fan probably shouldn't fear the Knights, but why Brent Venables needs to convince his team that you do need to fear the Knights. We'll talk about Dylan Gabriel's improved Heisman odds, and we'll talk about how the Big 12 continues to stick it to OU with another 11 o'clock start. Before we get to all that, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating and write a written review. The five-star rating helps us elevate our content, get it out to more people. The written review tells us what you want more of, and that's what we want. We want to know what content you want so we can produce more of that Take a screenshot of that. If you take a screenshot of the five-star rating and the written review and email it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, Pete will send you back a Heartland College Sports koozie because he's just that freaking cool of a guy. Well, after the bye week, OU gets set to take on Central Florida in another Big 12 matchup. Yeah, it still sounds odd. (laughs) Say say it 10 times that, that UCF is in the Big 12 and it still doesn't seem real. It'll be, a, and not to be the, the the typical OU snob who's ready to get out of the Big 12, but when OU makes that move to the Southeastern Conference next year and UCF is stuck in the Big 12, it'll be more acceptable. It, it'll, it'll seem more real because UCF and OU don't belong in the same conference. And you know who agrees with me on that? Las Vegas. Because Las Vegas has OU as an 18.5-point favorite as of the recording of this show. Now, that line could have moved one way or another since uh, we recorded this and since you are listening. So, uh, for entertainment purposes only, if you live in a state that allows you to use such things as uh, FanDuel and DraftKings, you might want to check in and see what that number is. I will tell you right now, I expect OU to cover. That 18 and a half. I know it's a big number. I know you're coming off a bye week, but UCF is also coming off a bye week. And we're talking about a team who did really well in their non-con against non-Power 5 opponents, got themselves out to a a 3-0 record, possibly looked like they could be a little bit of a fly in the ointment for the Big 12 this year. But since they've gotten into conference play, they've absolutely crapped down their leg, and they've done it in grand fashion, blowing that 28 to nothing lead to Baylor, losing by a combined 42 to KU and K-State, and now, oh, now, they only face Oklahoma, who is the most resurgent team in college football this year. And I would say for UCF, I mean, there's part of me that, look, I know, they're going to get on the bus, they're going to play the game. And and I'd worry, if I was a UCF fan, I would worry a lot more about the mentality of this team if, if they didn't get Jonathan Rice Plumley back. And that is their quarterback, the kid who transferred from Ole Miss. Um, He could actually present some problems for OU in this game. If you're looking for uh, some guys and, and you get out that pen and paper, start writing these names down of guys you need to watch. He's the first one, Jonathan Rice Plumley. Uh, a dual-threat quarterback, rushed for over 800 yards last year, threw for almost 2,600 yards last year. However, what I find interesting about him is that he tears up a conference like the AAC, and he'll tear up the non-Power 5 schools. 
against the Power Five schools, his numbers drop significantly. And I'm not I'm not a stats guy at all, but when something sticks out, it's definitely worth noticing. He goes from completing um, you know, almost 60% of his passes to only completing about 53% of his passes against uh teams in the power five. The other thing that you see is when he runs the ball, okay? When he runs the ball, then all of a sudden his Yards per carry dropped to about 4.3 yards. And, oh, I didn't give him enough credit. Uh, Against non-Power 5 opponents, he's actually completing 63% of his passes. And the fact that he's got a lower leg injury and had to nurse that for a couple of weeks, you wonder how gimpy this guy is, and you're thinking Brent Venables knows that he's going to be explosive. And and you hate to deal with a quarterback who runs because that can give your linebackers all sorts of issues. But if I issues, but if I'm Venables, I'm bringing the pressure. I want to see if this kid can handle it. I am blitzing my linebackers, my safeties, corners. Like I am bringing pressure in the first few plays of the game just to see what this guy does. Now, the best way to counteract that is is to run the ball, and that's something UCF certainly can do. They're the best rushing team in the Big Twelve, and they're the third best rushing team. In all of college football, Oklahoma, not too bad against the run, though. 28th overall in college football, uh, 58th in total defense. And I would think that OU's defensive linemen are still better than UCF's offensive linemen. The other thing that you have to worry about, and this is UCF's kind of a, they're a bit of a fascinating team to me because you're, you're, you've got Gus Malzahn as your coach, who's one of these spread guru type of guys but they run the ball and they run the ball successfully. You know, they throw the ball okay, but they run the ball pretty darn well. The other thing is with these that come up with these offensive guru kind of guys it drives me nuts. I'm not a gadget play guy, maybe you are, maybe you love it. Uh Gus will do some of that. Here's Brent Venables talking about uh being aware of what UCF may throw at him, in particularly one Gus Malzahn. Uh, he's always, you know, that I think a good coach is um, deception is part of the game, you know, and that's really in any sport. And uh, that was maybe Sun Tzu talked about, you know, the in the art of war, talking about, again, deception, you know, as something that is utilized on the battlefield, uh, you know, the for football or sport, you know, I think it's always a good thing, both sides of the ball. I think that's a, a good part of strategy. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, Gus is, and then UCF, our next couple of weeks, both teams, I think they're top two or three in the country in deceptive plays uh, as far as a percentage of their total number of plays. So, you know, if they run the screen, they're going to run the screen and go. If they run the sprint, they got the sprint throwback. If they, uh, you know, if they uh, run the stretch, they're going to run the uh, the flea flicker. Uh, they double pass. You know, they throw back to the quarterback. You know, they uh, we we had the fumble ruski. Um, you get the jet. You're going to get the jet pass. All of those things to slow you, your aggression down and to uh, manipulate you couple of other guys to uh, keep an eye on in the offense. Again, uh, UCF's running game is really where I'm kind of focused on. I know that they've got a, some decent receivers, but uh, running backs R.J. Harvey and uh, Johnny Richardson are two guys to keep an eye on. Harvey, 
uh, the bigger of the two at 5'9", 205, also the leading rusher. Interestingly enough, prior to the Kansas game, Richardson was the leading rusher, and then Harvey went nuts against the Jayhawks uh, with a fit, with a 53-yard touchdown run, part of a 133-yard day, and um, the dude has six touchdowns this year. But uh, look for the two running backs, again, uh, Harvey and Richardson, and then uh, Jonathan Rice Plumley. Uh, look for him, the quarterback. Those would be the guys that I'd watch out for on offense. Now, when you flip this and you look at OU's offense versus UCF's defense, this thing isn't even close. I mean, Dylan Gabriel is going to absolutely torch these guys this week. If for no other reason, it's the opportunity for him to play against, to play against his old team. And the way I kind of look at this is that um, – if you're Dylan Gabriel, this is this is you going off to real college. Okay, this 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 is you leaving commuter school U that was founded in 1963 and going off to the big leagues playing playing against you know playing for OU. And when you're having this reunion, all right, this reunion of of sorts. Think about it. Think about it this way. All right, I'll put this in language here that everybody can easily understand. Dylan Gabriel had a high school girlfriend, broke up with her, went off to college, found the love of his life, got married. The 10-year reunion happened, and he saw the high school girlfriend, and he introduced her to, to the wife. And the wife is much hotter. She's got a better job, which means she makes more money. She takes better care of him. He takes better care of her. He's happier than he could have ever been because your college girlfriend is usually better than your high school girlfriend. Not in my case, though, because I married my high school sweetheart. But uh, for most of the guys that I know that went that route, they were much happier with the person they met in college. And you want that girl in high school to be jealous. That's Dylan Gabriel this week. And for a guy who's got now the second best odds to win the Heisman, Dylan Gabriel, what did we tell you last week? He was plus 1,200. It's like plus twelve hundred to win the Heisman, which meant if you you bet a hundred dollars, you'd win um, one thousand two hundred. If you uh, were so inclined to get on DraftKings or uh, one of those apps in a state that actually allowed you to do it for entertainment purposes only, well, now he's eight to one according to MGM Grand. Eight to one according to MGM Grand. Uh, that is right behind Michael Penix. Michael Penix, who had his pseudo Heisman moment last last week knocking off Oregon, well, Dylan Gabriel now has has the second-best odds overall to win the Heisman. And why we say Dylan Gabriel will ultimately win the Heisman, one, because we believe OU's going to keep winning. OU should win out this year. There isn't a team in the regular season, and I'm not including the Big 12 championship in this conversation, but throughout the regular season, OU isn't going to lose another game this year. They shouldn't lose another game this year. Washington still has to play USC. Oregon still has to play USC. Washington still has to play Oregon State and Utah. So there are much, there are plenty of more chances for Washington to lose a game than there is for Oklahoma to lose a game on, on the schedule. And it should help Dylan Gabriel vault into the Heisman, not just conversation, but it should put him at number one on everyone's list because what the Heisman Trophy race has become is, one, not only a quarterback race, but two, who's ever got the most mo- mo- momentum, 
whoever has the most memorable moment and who's getting the most talk on ESPN, which by the time those votes have to be in and submitted, Dylan Gabriel should be that guy. It's hard to imagine that he won't be that guy. Of course, stranger things have happened, but that's... I I am just I am having a hard time picturing a scenario unless he just crashes and burns that he doesn't win the Heisman. So you go from having the fourth best odds to the second best odds in a week that you don't play because one, Bo Nix lost to Washington, and two, Caleb Williams threw three interceptions in the first half, which pretty much should take him out of the race. I guess he theoretically could get back in it with wins over Washington and Oregon. But that three-interception first half against Notre Dame is certainly going to stick in the in the voters' mind. Uh, but I, you know, looking at the numbers uh, for for UCF um, on the defense, it's just not a very good defense at all. Um, you know, th- this is a team that um, you know allows. They're, they're, I think they're seventy ninth. Yeah, 79th in total defense. They allow 387 yards per game, and they're going against the sixth overall offense in America at OU, who racks up 506 yards per game. And you know Gabriel is absolutely stoked about getting a chance to get in front of these guys. And when you think about how he got here, from Hawaii to UCF, you needed Caleb Williams to transfer in order for it to really make sense for him to come to OU and then you had this you had the situation last year where he gets hurt, he doesn't play, people are down on him, people are still ragging him this year and now everybody thinks of him the way that they think of a lot of great OU quarterbacks. And if he's he's not necessarily look, he's still not Sam Bradford. He's not Jason White. Um certainly not Baker or Kyler, but hey, this guy has a chance to get a statue right there right along with him. And here is Brent Venables talking about how things kind of played out with Dylan Gabriel and how he ended up landing at OU. I can't remember exactly when, but uh, even before that announcement, we knew we needed to get additional quarterbacks. That was the mindset was we need probably two additional. Uh, If everything stays the same, we need a couple. And uh, so we end up getting one uh, right away. And uh, and that was a very um, uh, that was a very uh, pressurized uh, pressurized moment, if you will, uh, for for Dylan and for Russ. And then he had to have a lot of trust and faith and belief, and uh, knowing that he had, had never had never met me, I FaceTime with him, and hey, brother, here's the situation. I visit with him and his family, and I know you're supposed to be going to college tomorrow or maybe it was two days away and uh, but here's our situation and uh, obviously Jeff's relationship uh, you know lend credibility you know to uh, you know some of their conversations and the things that I was we were you know laying out there for him so uh, you know next thing you know he's he had a few questions and we answered them. Jeff's also particularly bad against the run and we've been waiting for OU's running game to get on track. So if OU, so if you're looking for that game, you're looking for that game where OU's running game is going to be better than what it has been in the last few weeks, maybe this is it. And it'll be interesting to see 
how the running game plays out. Because I look, your guess is as good as mine on who is going to get the most carries. Will it be Tywee Walker? Will it be Marcus Major? Um, does anybody want to want to throw in? You know, if we had a hat here, okay. Like if everybody had a hat, like if we were going around and we were throwing um, our bonus checks into a hat about who's going to get most runs, where where would your where would your money be on this one? Would it be on Sawchuck? Probably not. You're probably thinking Major or Walker, right? But as soon as you think that, as soon as you think it's it's Marcus Major who's going to get the most carries, that's when we'll see Gavin Sawchuck get the most carries. As soon as you think it's Tywee Walker, that's when it'll be Marcus Major. I'm still gonna gonna err on the side of Walker and Major because they've been the most consistent guys. At least those guys have consistently got the ball more than any other running back. And I know injuries have played a part of it. Uh, but hopefully, look, I want to see Walker run the ball more. I know he's not a blazing speed guy, but that physical style of run is just a lot of fun to watch. And especially when you get that guy down around the goal line. I don't think there's a better back that that OU has this year that that can get things done inside the red zone, and just OU needs to feed him a hell of a lot more than what he has. All right, so count that as the 1,000th, 150 millionth time uh, that I said that. Is that even a real number? I don't know. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to get to today, and, and this must be mentioned, this is one of those things, oh, real quick, before I get to that, Pause, stop, rewind, whatever you want to say. Um, McCabe Matwire, do not expect to see him in this game this week. Uh, Brent Venables did get a, give an update on injuries, and essentially what he said uh, was everything's about the same as last week. So, again, Andrew Anthony out. Not a big surprise there. Matwire's still nursing that ankle injury in a boot. So, Oklahoma's right guard won't be him this week. And um, I would expect Gentry Williams would be back because he was practicing last Monday. And despite leaving the Texas game, if he practiced last Monday, I would think we would at least see him some on the field. But with with all that in mind, one thing that cannot be let, one thing we just absolutely cannot let go on this show this week, can't let go, is that the Big 12 gave OU the middle finger yet again. Yeah, you're leaving the conference They told OU to screw off. Next week, OU plays Kansas. When's the kickoff? You guessed it, 11 a.m. Actually, since the time you've listened to this podcast, you've you've already known that. But think about this for a second. That's three, count them, three straight weeks that the Big 12 has given OU an 11 o'clock kickoff. And their excuse is always going to be, well, that's prime time. You know that 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 is that is prime time. It's the big noon kickoff. Uh, you know whether AB and I don't know if ABC or Fox has that game. I don't really care which one does. Uh, check your local listings there. But it's all that's always the argument, and we know that that is crap. We know that that is an out and out lie from the Big Twelve. OU has done nothing but bitch and moan about the big about the Big Twelve not giving them. Not giving, you know, or giving them too many 11 o'clock games. The Big 12 has given OU way too many 11 o'clock games. It hurts the merchants. Fans don't like it. Uh, Players, I think, might have a little bit different idea of it because it's just you get up, you get the game over with, you got your Saturday free. But fans who want to tailgate, fans who want to have fun, don't want to be forced to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning just to go tailgate. 
Merchants don't like it because fans don't stick around after those games. And you knew once OU told the Big 12, kiss our butts, we're going east, you knew when the Big 12 had a chance to do something, they had a chance to stick OU with a lot of 11 o'clock games, they're going to do it. And there are rumors out there that Bedlam could possibly be an 11 o'clock game as well. So thank you again, Brett Yormark. Thank you again, Big 12, for your hospitality and being such a great conference to work with. You wonder why OU's going to the SEC? You don't have you don't have to look very far. Just look in the mirror. You know why OU's going to the SEC. You do not take your best brand. And some would argue it's Texas, and I get it. Texas has all the money. But OU has had way more success in this conference than Texas ever has or any other school ever has. You don't treat your best brand this bad because eventually they're going to tell you, kick all the rocks. OU did it, couldn't be happier. Um, and I wouldn't, somehow I wouldn't be, so I haven't seen the rest of the schedule. I forgot TCU's coming up at 11 o'clock. So you could potentially have the Texas game, the UCF game, the Kansas game, the Oklahoma game, and the TCU game all at 11 o'clock simply because the big, because simply because OU was very vocal, very vocal about not liking those 11 o'clock kickoffs and they had to go. They got it stuck to them. So thanks again, Big 12, for all that. Uh, and I say this to the Big 12, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Screw you, goodbye, and good riddance. All right, that wraps up our show today. Uh, let's end it on a high note. I don't want to end it. Uh, I don't want to end it, uh, you know, just, just ripping the Big 12. It just seems like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, let me end it with saying that uh, OU gets the win, 18 and a half. That's a lot. You know what? What the hell? I'll roll the dice. <laughs> I'll ro- for entertainment purposes only, I'll roll the dice and say, oh, you covers this week. Oh, you covers. Oh, wait a second. Right, one more thing. There was one podcast that told you Lincoln Riley would never win a national championship. One guy on the radio telling you back as, as much as Jalen, as late as Jalen Hurts playing quarterback for OU, that Lincoln Riley would never win a national championship. By the way, you're welcome, and thank you, Notre Dame. We are out of here now. OU covers the 18 and a half. Lincoln Riley never wins a national championship. May God bless you and your family. Um, Please, everybody love everybody like the great Jackie Moon always says, and to quote Don Cornelius, love, peace, and soul.